welcome to Next on WQLN. I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, this is the holiday season, and when the holiday seasons roll around, for whatever reason, people tend to be more charitable, people tend to be more giving, people are concerned more than usual about the welfare of their fellow man and woman. Today, I want to profile uh, two individuals and the agencies that they represent, one of which was created by our guest. Uh, our first guest to my left is Mr. David Gonzalez, CEO of the St. Martin Center Incorporated. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marcus. And Mr. Michael Hooks, founder of Michael Making Lives Better. Michael, welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning. Thank you. Well, first thing we want to do is just kind of talk about the uh, the different charitable efforts that you head up. David, we'll start with you. Talk about the St. Martin Center a little bit. What's Give us a synopsis of the agency, what they do. Sure. We're uh, St. Martin Center is a Catholic Charities organization. We just celebrated our 50th year of incorporation. And I, I really think our mission can be boiled down to, to really three things. You know, we, we provide early learning so we get children ready for school. We provide immediate assistance. Uh, that's basic needs, emergency assistance to individuals. And then we provide kind of long-term services uh, along the lines of housing and financial literacy. So really, um, our goal is to provide whatever the family needs, um, sometimes preventative, sometimes reactive, to help them uh, get through this difficult period and, and hopefully move towards self-sufficiency. So that's what we've been doing for a long time. The, word, the name St. Martin Center comes up often. I don't care if you're talking about people um, having to move from their place of residence, people having issues with their their utility bill. It seems to be a very diverse organization in terms of how they help people. Yes, I would say, I mean, we're in fact, yes, a diverse organization, um, you know, demographically as far as our, 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 um, how we're made up, but, but really our, our programming is diverse and, and sometimes it's challenging to tell our story because we, we, we do a lot of different things. And it is an agency that I think a lot of people think about when uh, they've exhausted a lot of their other resources. And so St. Martin's there, uh, although we're certainly available sooner, but m many individuals think of St. Martin Center as a last resource um, uh, when they're a time in crisis and, and really they have nowhere else to go. And so we're, we're happy to help that role as, uh, as long as we can. Mm -hmm. and, and so when it comes to the St. Martin Center, you know, you've got the food pantry there and things along those lines. When did, when did the St. Martin Center first show up on your personal radar? So I want, I want to say I was working, it was almost 20 years ago. I was, um, uh, 2002 or so, I was working at a different organization. And um, I learned about St. Martin Center um, while the St. Martin Center was leading the Weed and Seed Initiative back in the day. And uh, St. Martin Center was the lead agency for that uh, collaborative. And uh, so I got to know a little bit about the agency at that time and collaborated uh, with one with that particular grant. And, and so I stayed in contact. I was able to, uh, as a referral source, certainly to, to many clients and, and um, you know, actually was able to also recommend some employees and those kinds of things. So our mission um, of the organization that I work with and St. Martin Center were, were complementary. And um, so I stayed in contact with the organization and, and in various other jobs and roles that I've had, I've uh, worked with St. Martin Center one way or the other. So under your leadership, there's been a substantial expansion over to 18th and State. Can you talk about that briefly? Yes, we, we've had early learning for many years, but uh, we had come to realize that we were maxed out at our prior location. Uh, we do have two sites, and so our early learning center was maxed out. We were um, we had about 130 children. We we could not see any more. There was a need for more, and uh, we realized that in order to really 
continue to be impactful, we needed to to both own our location and to expand. And so we started on that journey. We're fortunate to find a place on 18th and State Street there, the former National City Bank, which just is just half a mile from our Parade Street location. And it immediately allowed us to... Uh, to really, I think, both be more impactful by serving more kids and continuing our Stars Force status, but also moving the organization to a better place of uh, also so that we could be self-sufficient by owning our space and, and not having to pay rent. So I want to come back to you shortly and talk a little bit about your journey leading up to this and drill down on some of the specifics of the St. Martin Center in terms of uh, what are some of your needs, because agencies obviously need resources of of various kinds to run. Mike, we'll come to you for a minute. And so what I find fascinating is you've got David, who heads up an organization that's in its 50th year. So this organization has roots. It's been around for a long time. Michael, making lives better, you're actually the founder of that nonprofit. Talk about that a little bit for us. What is it? How did you give birth to this vision? And what are some of the things that you do as an agency? I started doing um, community service work about 15 years ago, and um, what what I what I looked at um, was how could I um, take some of my personal experiences and utilize them to um, help other people. And what I did was um, um, I had at the time I had a hair salon, and um, at, when I was a kid, um, I can remember. Um, not um, being able to start school when school started sometimes because my mother, um, she couldn't afford to um, get all the things that I needed uh, for school, like like the clothes and the haircut and, you know, you needed some new shoes and, you know, you had to come in, you know, right. So um, um, because of that experience and um, as a kid, I, I, I was a block or two away from um, Fight for Burley, and I noticed that some of the kids going to school, you know, they needed a haircut. And so in, in 2004, I started um, giving the kids free haircuts, and, and that was the birth of the, the back-to-school free haircut day. At the time, I was not a nonprofit. I didn't even know what a nonprofit was. Um, um, I started there on 11th in between state and French. I think the first year I might have gave about 40 haircuts out. And then um, it took a life of its own. Um, 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 We just celebrated our 15th year. And um, for me, all the things that I do, um, I do them as um, 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 to, to, to fill a gap of where I had lacked when I was a kid. Um, but we've been officially a nonprofit since 2013. Um, and, and, and like I said, I didn't know what a nonprofit was. I had no idea um, what a 5013C was and, and, and those type of things. Um, um, what had happened was we, we grew from 2004 with the free haircut day from 30, 40 kids to thousands. And um, so that means there was a lot of money involved. And as I was asking people for donations, um, that's when they would say, well, do you have a 5013C? And I, and, and I didn't know what it was. And so um, I endeavored to go ahead and uh, become a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in, in, in the name of the nonprofit is Michael Making Lives Better. Um, I'm, I'm very attached to that. Um, and like I said, everything that we do, 
um, has some type of significance in, in, in my own personal life. Mm-hmm. Give us a, just a real quick synopsis of all the different things that you do, because I know that you, you've given away vehicles for single moms. You do the haircuts. You've got the 5K. Talk about just a real quick snapshot of the different elements, and we'll come back to you to talk about the journey. Well, well, um, <clears throat> our main focus is uh, kids and families. Um, my, my number one model is uh, strengthening kids and, and empowering families and building communities. Um, um, like I said, as a kid, you know, I felt that um, um, I, I, I went through a lot of things in my personal life because um, um, I, I was missing out on a lot of things, um, not having a father, you know, um, living with a, a single parent mom that that grew up under the welfare system. You know, never my mom never had a job, never owned a car or a home. So um, I was a product of that that particular environment. So so um, so what 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 I'm endeavoring to do is fill those gaps. Um, yes, we give away vehicles. Um, um, we feed people. Um, 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 we do the haircuts. Um, you know, I have a, a big Thanksgiving program um, that I'm very, very proud of. Um, what else are we doing? Um, you know, I'm building a kitchen. Um, um, but I'm, I'm thankful for all the small little things. And and, and I, I never looked at the things that we do as being big things. Mm-hmm. I just looked at those things as um, things that have significance. We do think outside the box. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think little things, when you do them right, they can um, have big impacts in people's lives. Excellent. David, you're an individual that you've been on city council for a minute. You served at the Erie Community Foundation for a while. You worked there for a while. Um, as as people get to know you personally, it's it's almost as if this uh, you've got this large personality that if people don't know, they don't recognize that you've had somewhat of a journey leading up to this position that you're in right now. Talk about your past experiences because you see Erie from various vantage points, which has to come in handy as you're running an agency like the St. Martin Center. Tell us about your journey. Well, Marcus, you know, I, I my journey started uh, December 21st, 1986, when I arrived here to Erie, uh, saw snow for the first time. It was halfway through my freshman year in high school. I came with my mom and my two sisters. My parents had divorced and, and uh, you know, ready to start a, a new life, although I admittedly I did not want to be here. Um, <laughs> you know, it was a tough adjustment for me. I was the youngest of the family and... Um, so I started at a new school, and, and you know what I like to say is, and uh, interestingly, uh, shortly after arriving here, I realized I, I, I sort of started seeing the world differently. You know, I, I come from Puerto Rico, from a little island, and while we look differently down there, there was at least when I grew up, there wasn't a sense of being different. Uh, it wasn't when I got here that I sort of started feeling different. People said I sounded differently, and um, you know, so it was a tough adjustment that way. I I I, uh, I guess started de- developing, if you will, a, an affinity. My eyes were open to the culturally different from from just my own experiences, and um, you know, academics were a good place for me. I always did well in academics, and 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 um, but. 
As the time grew, honestly, to make a decision for college, I did not spend a lot of time thinking about it, and I just chose psychology, and I decided to go to Gannon because my sisters had gone to Gannon, and I honestly, I remember completing the application in multiple colors and, and just really not, not really putting a, a lot of effort, wanting to go to college. Uh, and then it was when I started in the, in the university that I realized, yes, I, I, I want to help people. I'm not exactly sure what that looks like. Um, I chose psychology. It seemed to me an obvious path for me in terms of uh, being a thinker and analytical person. That can, can I stop you real quick? You said you, you realize you want to help people. Does that come from any particular experience, any particular place? Well, you know, I, I, I think for me, I, I def- for, for me, I just, like I said, I've always identified with those that are different with the underdog. I mean, it's just, I, I've just always identified with, um, not with a popular uh, group. Uh, I've always identified with, and I've always admired those that are different, those that stand up for themselves. I've, um, I feel strongly about issues that I see as uh, unjust, and and I've, I've, you know, I, I feel uh, honestly that I, I want to help right those wrongs, and, and and so that, and I would say certainly with my personal faith journey, you know, I, I realize, you know, uh, you know, I read the Gospels, and I felt, you know this is what I'm being called to do. I don't necessarily know what it looks like. Certainly had no ambition to be uh, in government or even a CEO, but I just wanted to help people to make lives better. Um, And I think in part because of my personal experience and also my faith journey, I just Mm -hmm. felt, you know, uh, Jesus said to do that and not ask questions to just serve. And I just, I want to do that. So in college, you start taking psychology, you say, because you realize you want to help people. Yeah, you know, and I'm sort of wired that way and, and um, decided to start working with children um, after my my first degree um, and, and really learned that, I, uh, le- learned that I needed to learn a lot more. And so I went back and got my master's degree and it started really navigating through the human services system. Really, my desire was just to help. So I started with kids like many, many folks do in, in this profession and um, started working with families and and uh, so I, I loved working with families. I found it to be meaningful, difficult, but meaningful work. But also realized early on that I, I, I felt that the scope of my impact was limited. You know, I, 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 I felt that working with one family at a time in one setting was not impactful enough because people still lived. You know, if I, if I, when I worked with kids in the school, I also knew that they went back home and there was an influence at home. And so it was pretty early into my professional journey that I that I was craving something more because I felt that um, the my ability to help individuals and, and, and the ability for individuals to to get ahead uh, really needed to be tackled from various fronts. And so um, that was sort of one of my first insights. City Council Community Foundation, which came first? Uh, the foundation did. Okay. At what stage was the foundation in when you worked there? I know they've had their own journey. I, actually, I, I stand corrected. I was working at the Hispanic Council when I when I joined uh, City Council, and then I went to work at the Erie Community Foundation. So I sort of the City Council my my two years on City Council bridged two jobs. Um, first Latino on City Council. That's right. Okay. Uh, first and only. At this point, um, yeah, I was appointed to finish out the term for uh, then Mayor Joe Sinnott, who had just become mayor. And so two years were left on his city council term. And, you know, I, I, I uh, honestly, I didn't even know much at that time. I just I, I was helping people in my first position in administration. I, w- I was in the Hispanic American Council and I received a call and somebody said, listen, we we've seen the work you're doing. Um, it's up to us, council, to choose uh our next uh, council member, and we want you to put your name in. And honestly, I I, I remember thinking, I, I don't know much about this, and I certainly didn't have any 
you know, like many other people, somewhat skeptic about the the political process. Mm-hmm. But but I thought uh, I want to have a seat at the table, and and um, if this allows me an opportunity to to help more people, then I will I will try it. And sure enough, I got in. Um, I ran to stay after my two years were up and, and lost. That was uh, not a good moment, but I certainly learned quite a bit during that two-year time frame. And and in that two-year time frame, um, I switched to the Erie Community Foundation in a role as a program officer. So I got to interface with, and I and I enjoyed that. Got to interface with nonprofits from a different side as a as a funder. Mm-hmm. And so the, the experience on City Council, the fact that you were the first and only uh, Latino to serve, I think is significant. And now you're at the Community Foundation. So again, your vantage point and the way you see Erie, you know, you're adding extra experiences to that. And I think that that holistic view lends itself towards being a more complete leader. These experiences, how much have they shaped you as a leader, you think? Well, significantly. You know, my my positions in direct service obviously helped me to understand what that was like, which helped me to understand and to be able to do what I do in administration. My time on city council helped me to see things in a more global perspective, as well as understanding the political process, the influence, and and um, and, and really how many sectors be, beyond social services uh, function. My time at the foundation certainly helped me understand how funders operate and. And uh, and again, to expand my my vision beyond just human services to understand the arts and environment and other pieces. So ultimately, again, and without scripting, all these positions shaped me to to um, to my current position as a CEO, where I really have to look at things and interface with many sectors and many individuals. Um, I did. I, I couldn't have. It, it could have not gone better had I scripted myself, I, you know. So, again, Providence. Funny how life works out that way. You're listening to Next on WQL, and I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson, with uh, St. Martin Center CEO David Gonzalez and founder of Michael Making Lives Better, Michael Hooks. Michael, we'll swing over to you. I want to go back to you already started unpacking your journey a little bit. What I love about your story is there are a lot of people who want to start nonprofits. I'm on the board of the nonprofit partnership and and your model in particular is something that we discuss quite often because I think people have a misconception of what it means to start a nonprofit. Sometimes people start with the wrong motives. Some sometimes people have the wrong outlook. They think that oh, I'm I'm creating myself a job and people in your position usually launch nonprofits to work out because it comes from somewhere real personal. You touched on a few things already that are so heavy that I want you to just go deeper. You said that your mother never had a job. Your father wasn't around. So many of the stereotypes that that plague our children in the inner city, you've lived out. And you've come out the other side educated. You've got two degrees. Yes, sir. You Two businesses. Yes, sir. And a nonprofit that you started from the ground up. Yes. And so throughout during that journey, at what point uh-huh. did you say... I want to use this to make people's lives better. Well, um, I'm, I'm going to say that um, over the last 30 years, um, when I was 23 years old, um, I was sentenced to um, 30 years in prison um, for selling drugs. And um, my, my whole life changed. Um, I had asked myself, first of all, I accepted full responsibility. Um, and I was able to do that because I understood that I was not a bad person, um, but circumstances created me. You know, um, I've always had good people in my ear or oh, do this or do that. And that's not the right way to do this, you know. Um, but 
when 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 learning how to make good choices and good decisions it, it's a process to that when when you've never been taught that from a kid up so um you you got to bump your head so to speak a few times and and a lot of times um um people bump their head and they never recover so i'm thankful that i i had an opportunity to recover um from bumping my head and um and i made a decision that um i was never going to be a problem i was going to be a solution and um um and even making that choice or telling myself that i never thought about the work mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying i just knew i wanted to do the right things for the rest of my life mm-hmm. um and 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 then um that that thinking um the the the, the reading the the, the self educating of myself and understanding society and 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 um and and all the pitfalls and things that um a lot of kids have to or or people have to endure that really they didn't sign up for mm-hmm. and in learning how to navigate yourself through life um sometimes you slip and fall can I can I go back to the thirty years real quick? With African American males, I call it the Malcolm Martin paradigm, and oftentimes you'll see one of those two patterns play out. And the Malcolm paradigm is some people get incarcerated and find themselves there. The thirty years. How long did you serve of that thirty years? First of all, I did eight years. You did eight years. If you can, it was there. Was there an epiphany? When you were incarcerated, was there a moment while you were there that was pivotal? I would say that um, um, going there, um, first of all, I always tell people it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. Um, um, but I met people there that um, seen something in me as a young man and, and told me that, you know, this is the beginning of your life, not the ending. And... Um, that's when um, 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 I became an avid reader, and 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 and, and um, I remember reading um, a book, um, "As a Man Think If So Is He," written by um, James Allen, and um, and, and and in the chapter in this book, it says, "You are the master in your most abandoned and weakest state." And um, I said, "Dang, I'm in, I'm I'm incarcerated. I'm you know." But I'm still the master. Right. So what am I going to do? How can I make myself better here? Because if I can't be better today, how can I be better tomorrow? You understand what I'm saying? Regardless of where you are. Yes. Yes, sir. So so um, I I looked at I looked at being there. um, I took it head on. I I didn't blame anyone. Um, Good morning. Yes, sir. Um, I I took it serious. um, And 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 it worked out well for me. Mm. And so you get out. The process of starting Mike Make Michael making lives better. So you already pointed out, fifteen years ago you started giving haircuts in your own shop. How'd you even open the shop in the first place? Give yeah, the, yeah, yeah. That but and let's, the let's, education. Let's let's talk about the getting out process. Okay. Um, <clears throat> see, even though I felt like I was in 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 recovery, I, I mean, I felt like I had my stuff together and I was ready for challenges i was ready to go to work and i was ready to deal with people and and come back out and 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 be a a good member of society society didn't look at me that way so i couldn't get a job um i remember um filling out applications and 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 crying after the interview 
when they look me in the face and say, yeah, uh, Mr. Hooks, um, you, 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 you present yourself well and, um, you, you know, you, you, uh, you felt out the application pretty good and, you know, but your record, you understand? Because you, you got to tell the truth when you put the application in. And, and, and I kind of knew or I kind of prepared myself for what if nobody hires me? What will I do then? And that's one of the things I teach because I go back into prisons and I talk to inmates all over the state. I've been to every prison in the state of Pennsylvania, even into Ohio. And and what I teach people is that it's it's your responsibility to create an atmosphere that's conducive to your own personal growth. So what I did was I studied things of how to start a business and I looked at things that what 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 could I do or what. What what could be easy? What can I do within maybe 12 months? What type of schooling or training can I take and then go right into the workforce? And and I never had um, aspirations of being a barber, but the program was only for nine months. You know what I'm saying? And I figured after nine months I can go to work. So um, I've I've never had a job. I've worked for myself. I got out of prison in 1998 and I've um, I've been self-employed since 1999. Mm. So um but I understood, and, 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 and that's the one thing that, that we have to do better as a society at, at giving people opportunities. But at the same time, um, those looking for the opportunities have to understand no one owes you anything. And sometimes you have to take things into your own hand if it's just collecting cans. And people notice you from hard work, and then sometimes you can create your own opportunities. See, it lands differently when someone— with your life story says what you just said. And some people need to, as I'm sure this is why you go around talking to people, some people need to hear it from an individual like you saying, world doesn't owe you anything. Yes. You have to go get it. We're going to come back to you in just a second. David, let's talk about your landing at uh, St. Martin Center. When you were brought on as the CEO, assuming that that's the role that you got brought in on, correct? That's right. Were you overwhelmed with the needs, because again, St. Martin Center services people and their needs from so many different angles. Were you overwhelmed at the needs that you saw when you came in? I would say that I was overwhelmed, but it was much. It was really more about the responsibility uh, that I had, you know. And and it, so I, I, you know, being a funder and having worked in direct service before. You know, I I have seen the needs of the community and, and, and have worked with families in the homes and the schools. and But, you know, I had never been a CEO before. I had been in administration. Uh, uh, I had been a leader of clubs and those kinds of things. And But, but you know, the CEO um, for me was, was a big step. And, again, one that I wasn't aspiring to, but it just happened. And uh, so that was the, 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 um, the biggest piece, you know. I remember thinking... Um, to myself, uh, um, God, are you sure this is where I'm supposed to be? Did somebody make a mistake somewhere? Um, because uh, this is a this is a, a lot of work, and and you know you have to take you know if I'm going to do the job, I'm going to do it well. That's just the type of person that I am. And if I'm 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 going to go all in, and and um, and the responsibility of understanding that you know ultimately, uh, yes, there are lots of uh, people. We have boards, and we have. Uh, lots of uh, uh, individuals that kind of help put this together, but ultimately a lot of the responsibility does fall, and the decision making falls on me. and And that was that was really the 
um, I want to say, the, the, the most overwhelming thing at first. So where did you see a disconnect? Because now you are heading an agency that is on the ground level dealing with and helping with people and their most pressing needs. You've been on city council. You've been involved with an agency that gives money to organizations. You've, you know, you've studied in this city. Where, where were the disconnects that you saw between what, the work that you do and, and the society that these people live in? Uh, yes, there. You know, really, very quickly, um, as I went back to doing this sort of work and, and stepped away from government and philanthropy, I first of all I realized it, it really felt like coming home to me, and I and I said that to the staff when I started it. You know, this is this is, um, you know, this is where I need to be, and this is what I need to be doing. But the disconnect is is absolutely uh, doesn't take very long to realize that um, it is different when you're on the uh, organization on the agency side of things. Um, you you really you know you you really as as an organization uh, regardless of the mission you really have to fight and scrape for um, for recognition for validation for justification of the work that you do um, you know I continually find myself uh, explaining to people the value of the nonprofit work and uh, human services because there still continues to be uh, misunderstandings out there and so. That is a, a role that um, you know. I you notice the minute you you kind of step back in the, into the shoes. Mm-hmm. Frustrating at times. Uh, that's one word to use to describe <laughs> it. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it's um, it, it's necessary. Um, the work is meaningful. You know, I tell my staff, listen, uh, folks, don't come here to get rich, but but we're making a difference. This is this is God's work. And um, as difficult as it, it it does come with a job. Uh, at the end of the day, it's about lives. And so it's it's not as black and white as as mm-hmm. as other types of work, but but I would argue that it is, uh, you know, many times more meaningful. But yeah, it is different when you're on the side of things. You know, the the uh, I I would argue, and I'm not sure how Michael feels about it, but I would argue that many times the the systems that um, the funders the the regulations are really not necessarily set up to benefit the nonprofit sector, and, and as such, uh, they can become quite an obstacle in, in fulfilling your mission. St. Martin said it was a Catholic charity, you pointed out. Explain to people just exactly what that means, because when it comes to Catholicism, everything from colleges to schools to organizations, you have to specify. Give us the connection there. Yeah, well, St. Martin Center was was um, started by Father Enright. He was in 1952, but he was actually officially incorporated in 69, and that's where we get the 50 years. But it really started in the basement of Immaculate Conception Church as a recreational facility to help kids in the neighborhood. Um and so it, it, it is cons- we're separately incorporated, as I mentioned, but we are affiliated with the diocese as a Catholic Charities organization. So our role, if you will, is to Catholic Charities is, if you will, the, the, uh, the arm of the diocese that takes care of uh, social needs, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we play the specific role related to direct assistance and housing and early learning, whereas other Catholic Charities agencies play other specialized roles like mental health counseling or residential treatment for boys. So we play a specific role within Catholic Charities, even though we're still uh, separately incorporated. But, um, you know, that's really the value system about um, you don't have to be we, – we serve – uh, individuals, regardless of who the you know what their religion is and who they are and how long they've been in this country, um, our our mission is to help individuals move forward. And and again, I find myself 
Um, so, so we absolutely the, the 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 value of life and the helping the poor and those in need guide the work that we do. Um, but you don't have to have a faith affiliation to receive services from our mm-hmm. organization. This is next on WQLN. I'm your host Marcus Atkinson with St. Martin Center CEO David Gonzalez, founder of Michael Making Lives Better. Michael Hooks. Uh, we're talking about their respective agencies, their personal journeys leading up to them uh, being the founder and CEO of these respective agencies. Mike, I want to come to you. In this segment period, I want to talk about support in various ways. Mike, I'm very curious as to you go from cutting children's hair in your barbershop, and that that evolves into Michael making lives better, into a nonprofit, 501c3. Talk about the human resources, the people who came around you, who stepped up and, and, and joined you, how did that process start? Because you talk about nonprofits, you're talking about building a board, somebody doing your legal work, someone doing your accounting. Give us that process. All right. <clears throat> um, the 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 lady that I reached out to to um, to learn about nonprofits, honestly, um, she lives in South Carolina. I never seen her face. Mm. Uh, I met her from uh, my sister's husband that lives in. South Carolina. Um, so I, my sister knew about my struggles, and um, I was like, man, I got to get a, a nonprofit. I don't know what to do. I went to a couple of people. They didn't want to help me, and blasey, blasey. So um, she ended up hooking me up with this lady, and um, she was about 80-something years old. And she had a little um, organization where she, she wrote nonprofits and stuff like that. And um, she talked to me over the phone, and um um, I paid for it out my own pocket. I think I spent around maybe a little less than four grand. She let me make payments on it, and uh, she schooled me and she got me going. Um, but 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 prior to me even becoming a nonprofit, I have to send some shout outs to some people that supported me because see a lot of times you know I'm the face, but 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 it's a lot of people that walk with me this that never get, get yeah. that never get the credit. Um, um, Early on, um, Lynette Thompson, she was a she was she did a lot of uh, paperwork for me. Um, Elizabeth Edwards is still with me today. Um, you know, a lot of stuff I, I could never do without her. Um, but my mentors were um, Ron Steele and, and John Horan. Um, they have both passed on. Um, and, and, I, and I miss them dearly, um, not just from a mentor uh, standpoint, but really from a financial backing. Um, anything I ever needed, um, um, they, they was there for me. Um, and I've haven't been, I haven't been able to replace them since. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I, I keep their their memory uh, alive. Um, I like to mention their names whenever I can. Um, um, some, 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 a couple people have stepped up over the last couple of years to really, really, um, to get behind my nonprofit. And that would be, uh, Bonnell's Collision and, 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 and another, uh, guy that I would consider a very, very good friend of mine. And that would be Rob Seleski. Um, but, but they're, they're, t- you, you have to, <clears throat> um, for, for me, when I ask somebody for something, it, it's hard to say no. Because they would look at you and they would say, here's a man with with minimal resources. And if he can give everything he got to something. Right. And they can see it. You know, they call it skin in the game. But but and, and that's what I do. I'm willing to, to use everything that I have personally to advance a situation. And when people see that, I, I've, I've, I've earned a lot of respect 
um, because of that, because what I'm willing to pay. You know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, you gotta have um, you gotta have some people get behind you. Um, there's a lot of people behind the scenes that they never get the credit, and um, you have to find a way to let them know how important they are as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I'm thankful for those people. Um, but yeah, um, the, the the lady she she taught me a lot about nonprofits and and um and like I said, she let me make payments, and um, we got that thing going, and um we 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 really been we we don't we're not we're not a big nonprofit. Um, honestly, our our um um our money has been since we've been a nonprofit has been under fifty thousand dollars. We we've never been over a fifty thousand dollar budget. Um, and, and I think this year is probably the first year that we're probably going to exceed the 50,000 mark. You know what I'm saying? So we're just a small nonprofit and I consider us on the front line. Um, and like I said, I like to say that we are very unconventional. Uh, I'll take you to the store and buy you some clothes. I'll pay you your electric or your gas bill. I'll put some 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 gas in your car. I mean, people come to us for a lot of different things and. And if I feel and, and, and I'm a good judge of character, if I feel you are out here trying to do what you need to do, I mean, I'll, I'll get behind you and help in any way that I can. Less than fifty thousand dollars. That is for the amount of impact that you have on the community. That's commendable. But you mentioned respect. And so I want to I want to get your reaction to you ride by Michael making lives better. Annual haircut day, back to school haircut day. And. One can't help but notice the banners that just line the fence along 12th Street. When you see the businesses and the agencies and the individuals that really get behind these efforts, given your journey to that point, how does that how did that make you feel to see all of the and many of them A-listers that many nonprofits are going after when they started saying, yes, we will support you? How did that make you feel? Oh man, it made me feel good. And 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 Marcus, um, how the banner situation started, it was because I it was it was it was a great move on my behalf because we wasn't a nonprofit. So I had to find a way for people to make a donation because we were not a nonprofit. So a lot of a lot of organizations, they can go into a kitty of advertising. And that's what it was. And and that's what I was selling. And that's how that thing started on the fence. That was how we was getting our support when we was not a nonprofit. So um, I would put anybody on the fence. Uh, If you come out and you want to help us cook, I'll put I'll put you up. If it's a barbershop that want to help out, I'll advertise because I'm into this is not about me, even though this says Michael making lives better. That's the name of the organization. But this is about all of us. You know what I'm saying? And and, and I and I knew that coming in that if we were going to be effective, it would take the whole community. So I'm very proud of a couple things. I'm very proud of the work. But more importantly, I'm very proud of being a, a, a conduit of someone who can bring people together. And for those people that come down and volunteer or those who um, 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 donate their money, whatever, whatever resource they bring to the table, I like to give everybody credit because it takes us all. Mm. I want to stay with you for just an, another second. You know, I've read a lot about Jay-Z. I've read a lot about Master P in the hip hop industry. Masterpiece said one time that many of the same traits and qualities that made him um, an entrepreneur on the street, 
He said he figured out that those same qualities made him a successful and make him a successful businessman in mainstream America. Jay-Z said the same thing. I hear statements like that. You're one of the first people I think about because your business hustle, your nonprofit hustle, it's the same Mike Hooks. It's the same. With a different awareness, purpose, Mm -hmm. and community driven talk about that briefly before we come back over today well 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 you know i, I would agree with you 100 percent, brother marcus um you know even when i was in the streets it was it was about one customer at a time and now that i i utilize those same skills um it, it's about building relationships one person one kid and one family at a time and um to be able to um to tell someone that uh, and look them directly in their face, right? And I think this is what a lot of people like about me, because a lot of the people that I serve, they know my story. You know what I'm saying? And 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 one of the things I tell them is that if I can do it, you can do it. So to have that direct connection where they can look to me and say, "Man, I remember when he used to do this," or you know, some of the stories they heard about me, and now to see me, uh, um, you know, helping people. Um, um, that means a lot to them, and, mm-hmm. and 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 it also means a lot to the people that support me. Uh, I think they appreciate um, um, seeing someone um, sacrifice himself for someone else. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I think they appreciate that, and uh, and, and and I'm thankful for just having the opportunity. I'm, I'm I, you know, I used to not even want to do a news interview. You know, the news used to run up on me. Oh, can I talk to you? I said, no, I'll go talk to somebody else. You know, leave me alone. Let me do the work. You know what I mean? So um, no, I'm very thankful for this. And um, um, the people that I serve are very, they, they're way more important than me. Mm. So, David, again, let's go back to this Catholic Charities thing, because we're talking about human resources and resources, material resources. Catholicism, uh, the diocese, people tend to lump all kinds of things together. Perfect example. I, I go to the Prep Villa fundraiser every year for the last few years. This past year, roughly $500,000 raised in an evening for these schools. And you think about some of the donors and some of their givers, and that's one of the things that they're known for. There may be an assumption that because you are tied into to, to the uh, Catholic diocese, that your agency is flush with cash and doesn't need the general population to come in and be a part of uh, the work that you're doing. Clarify that for us. It's a good point, Marcus. We are a Catholic Charities Agency, but you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, when it comes to just bottom line, about 6% of our budget really comes from the diocese. We're Six. 6%. We're responsible for the rest. And 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 so, like other nonprofits, you know, we are uh, fierce about fulfilling our mission as well as how to finance the operation. And and so, we were founded with the um, similar to my life story with the desire to just help people that needed help in an area. And then we've grown, you know, a little bit specialized and grown programs, et cetera, et cetera. But the idea was, we just want to we just want to meet the gaps where people are and and help them get ahead. And so. Uh, as a nonprofit organization, we're absolutely uh, a Catholic Charities Agency, and it guides our values. But um, you know, we are funded or financed through a variety of methods, uh, like other agencies. You know, a combination of grants, uh, fee for service, donations. Ultimately, um, our donations really, at this point, account for about twelve percent of the overall budget, and we really would like that to get better. You know, what what 
what I think a lot of people don't realize is that when you're working specifically with people that are in crisis or people that are just, you know, qualified as low to moderate income, you don't charge for those services. You know, those individuals, even if you charge, they couldn't pay for them, you know, so... But, but it costs something to provide those services. And so, you know, I use the analogy of a coffee cup because I like coffee. Everybody knows that. And so you buy a cup of coffee somewhere and you, you pay the $2. Nowadays, it's about $2 for a small cup. And you drink it, you enjoy it, you're, you do it because that's the way it is. But little people really give it thought. It, uh, really about 10 to 15 cents of that cup of coffee is actually coffee. I mean, it, it, it costs for the coffee. The rest goes into the cup, into the staff, into the lights. And, and so... What, what I think a lot of people don't realize, and, and, and perhaps us nonprofits are not doing a good job of educating the general public, but, it, but it, it costs a lot to provide the services that we do. We're happy to provide them. We like to provide them. We feel called to provide these services, but, but it, costs, it costs money. And so, uh, and by design, these services are not meant to be uh, at a cost to the individuals that receive it. So we absolutely need donations. As a matter of fact, we're, we're one of those agencies that's about to lose uh, their entire United Way allocation of 108000 here in six months. And so we are at a place, I mean, we, we've been always fundraising. I mean, that's just the way the nature of the beast. But we're at a place where we are uh, at a pivotal place in, uh, in our future where we uh, need to continue to, uh, we want to continue to, and we will continue to do our mission. We just have to fund it in a different way um, because we are primarily responsible for most of how we fund the operation. And now, this is Catch-22 because I know for many nonprofits, one of the things that they deal with is funders don't want to fund salaries. You hear it all the time. You know, you don't want to fund employees per se. We'll fund the work. Well, that's kind of a catch-22 because you can say we want you to go after this and have a greater impact in this particular area. It may take another staff person or two or three to have a greater impact. How do we address that? Is that something that you find yourself dealing with at your agency? Absolutely, 100%. You know, and like you alluded to earlier, I've seen all sides, you know, the funder side, the government side, and the reality is that – Many funders uh, no longer want to, you know, fund salaries, um, even though that's, of course, the biggest expense for a nonprofit organization. Uh, and then when they do fund salaries, they don't want to go beyond the year. They do not want to be what, you know, quote unquote, on the hook for for operating. But it, it poses a significant problem because the work needs to be done and the work costs money. And, um, you know, nonprofits perform some of these services uh if if we were not around, uh, the reality is that the government could not absorb this work. So so who's going to provide it? Um, and so I really think you know um, you know so poverty is a big complicated problem in our community, and it requires more than just the nonprofit sector to address it. But I really believe that in order for us to continue uh, and to even be more impactful as a community to move forward, we really need a new way of how to fund this sort of work. And so you know I'm I'm really encouraged by the good work that's happening in downtown Erie right now. Uh, significant investment for many parties, and 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 I have to say oh, that money's very quickly they've been able to to um, uh, collect all these resources. You know, I, I I dream of a time when that happens for the human services sector in town, where um, many people step up and, and and realize that we need ongoing support to be able to provide this work. Because you know, just imagine how much more I'm sure that Michael would agree too. How much more impactful all of us agencies could be. If we were solely focused on mission um, and not spending upwards of half of our time on on financing, uh, we we need we need some some help as a community to help move it forward. We need a different way of funding this. The work cannot be done. I mean, it really, 
programs are nice, but it's really people making a difference. And 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 and, and we want to pay those people to to do that work. Mm. You're listening to, or this is next on WQL, and I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson, with uh, founder of Michael Making Lives Better, Michael Hooks, and the CEO of the St. Martin Center, David Gonzalez. We're in the home stretch of a conversation about giving, helping others, uh, the respective agencies that both of these gentlemen represents, and not just during the holiday season. Some people do this work from January 1 to December 31, and this time of year, it's on everyone's minds, but somebody has to continually run with that baton throughout the year. These two gentlemen and both their agencies are doing that. To bring it back to you, Mike, we talk about some of the conditions that feel like a catch-22 and they may, they may you know, bring some anxiety and angst where this work is concerned. For you, especially since much of your journey is so personal, give us an idea of the things that really break your heart when you are, uh, for the people that you serve and some of the um, the vortexes that they're caught up in, cycles that they're caught up in, you know, what what keeps you up at night that you see out here? Well, first, I, I want to um, just talk about the money part a little bit, Mark. Um, okay. <clears throat> um, that 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 really is a is a, uh, something that hurts me. Um, I'm thankful that um, that I've been blessed enough to to establish and build relationships with some people in this community that that don't want to see us fail. You know what I'm saying? So, um, for example, when when I'm short, when the project is short of money, you know, I have to go lean on my family members and, and some some of my good friends that, you know, that that make a decent wage, you know, and, and they've never told me no. And that's because they respect the work. But, no, we we need to understand that um, given um, it, it should be a big part of all of our lives. Um, it's very, very important. Um, and, and just because you see a banner on the fence of a, of a, a big organization, trust me, the biggest organizations gave the little bit, the less amount of money. You understand what I'm saying? Um, so don't don't take for granted just because you see an organization behind a particular uh, nonprofit that that they're they're uh, really funding. You know, most most big organizations they just want their name on something. Um, they're they're not, I'm not going to say anything negative other than the fact that. Um, they could do more, and, and, and most of the times they do the less. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, um, what, what was the other question that you asked? Just what do you what do you see with the people that you work with, the people that you help? What do you see that breaks your heart, brings you frustration? What what I see the most is people trying to get up and go to work every day and and not making a living wage. I, I think that's the uh, the biggest problem in our society. I also see because I sit on the board of Erie Rise Charter Leadership Academy. Um, I see um, um, kids coming to school every day and wanting to do well, but not having the the support that they need after school or before school. Um, um, parents have to understand that. Um, Education, to me, education is the great equalizer. Um, I, I often ask people, "What is what is your definition of education?" And 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 you know, they get to talking about math and this, that, and the other. Christopher Columbus discovered America, but no, to me, education is one's ability to navigate themselves through life. Mm-hmm. And and um, and so so we need as a society, we need to pour more into education, and we need to respect the fact that if someone gets up every day and they work in a full time job. 40 plus hours a week they deserve to have a pay a living wage that's going to allow them to uh, pay their rent make a car note 
pay some health insurance and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I see is the biggest problems. And that's what I think I deal with the most. Um, people not, not making a living wage and, and kids not taking um, um, education seriously. Where community is concerned, that is something that I struggle with myself. You'll hear assumptions of, you know, people need to work hard. There's some of those quote unquote people that you're referencing work 40, 50, 60, <laughs> 60 hours a week and just aren't making any money. Yeah. You can't question the fact they're putting in the work. And then some of these same people have two and three jobs and still. And not at home with their kids exactly. because they got to work two or three jobs. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, and, and, and when you're not at home, then that's put a little bit more strain on society because then we, we got to be the parents. Filling in the they somewhere, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, those are the two biggest problems that I see in and I'm, I'm committed to um, 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 promoting how important education is. Um, and and, it's, and, and it's, to me, it's, it's real simple. Self-education first. We have an intellectual responsibility to ourselves where we have to understand and learn on our own. Remember, I go back to telling you, nobody owes us nothing. We owe. You know, we live in a society that people think that, uh, it's, it's society responsibility to take care of them. No, it's your responsibility to take care of yourself. And, and but if you don't know how to do that, you, you you're not going to get it done. Mm-hmm. So so self education is big. Um, we got to get back to a point where um, um, people can um, have and utilize personal skills. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about with the, with 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 your own two hands. Um, instead of because you know we're taught to be workers, not owners. And, and, and that never works out, especially if, 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 the, if the goal is to just go to school, get educated and get a job, but that job never pays you right. You know, so I talk about, no, uh, creating a job and being mm-hmm. an owner of, 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 uh, owner of yourself, which means take responsibility of yourself um, and, and, and then finding a way to affect your neighborhood, your community and ultimately your society. Excellent. David, again, a lot of different needs that St. Martin Center is addressing, there has to be one particular type of need that keeps showing up on your doorstep that just, well, where the righteous indignation just wells up in you. What is that particular thing that just strikes you every time as this thing bothers me? I would say that it's the increasing cost uh, for individuals to rent housing apartments anymore you know we we get significant calls every day um, and now most of the rent assistance requests if not well all of them really now go through Erie County Care Management but ultimately they come to our place where we we put out close to $100,000 a year in rent assistance to individuals families in crises and um, you know the rent the cost of rent just keeps going up and uh, you know uh, you know families are not really ideally expected and should should have to pay more than 30%, ideally 25% of their overall income in, in housing. And yet we have so many people that are spending so much more money uh, for, 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 for a small apartment and they're trapped. You know, they, they, they can't move forward in their lives because they need a place to stay, of course, other than that, uh, without that, they're homeless. And the increasing cost of, of rent, I think is just really um, and, and, and just the difficulty that it is to, to um, you know, to maintain, to, to get the right type of, of, of apartment, I think it's very problematic. I think, you know, housing is one of the core issues that, that really is at the, um, 
at the heart of this kind of poverty crisis we have in our community. And of course, without proper housing, you know, there goes family stability, learning, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, the high cost of, of apartments um, for low to moderate income individuals is, is really uh, problematic. And many of those, those um, units are subpar, although the pricing doesn't reflect it. Uh, correct, correct. And I think, you know, one landlord told me once that he was able to charge a lot of rent because his clients had poor credit and uh, so they couldn't go elsewhere. And I was just stunned. I mean, you know, the fact that, uh, and I'm not saying this is true of all the landlords, but but that people are trapped in these situations and that sometimes, um, and they can't move forward, you know, a, a, as a family, as an individual, because they're trapped by their, they need a place to live. Mm. As we move towards closing, Michael and, and David, give this some thought as well. Tell us uh, what we need to know, what you'd like for us to know about your your agency, your mission, your needs. Tell us what we need to know about Michael making lives better. Well, um, the first thing I would say is this: we're we're open for anyone that 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 wants to be a part of Michael making lives better. Um, you can get on the website. You can you can give me a call. I'm willing to work with any um, organization and any 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 person in society that that understands and accepts what we're trying to do. Um, next, I'd like to uh, just let everyone know that we're very very close on a, on a kitchen that we've been um, working on. That's going to allow us to serve lunches um, to feed kids on the weekends. Um, right now, most most schools they uh, they send kids home with a backpack with with some crackers and some snacks and stuff like that to try to hold them through uh, the weekend till they can get back to school. So so we built a kitchen and, and like I said, we very very close um, to being able to um, to feed. Our, our goal is to feed 500 kids every weekend. Uh, and we wanted we want to deliver that 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 meal right to the house, right to the put it right in the kid's hand. And and, and while doing that, um, we are hoping to establish personal relationships with those particular families. And and I'm, I'm gonna be advocating for them to uh, to make sure they they're going to church and all the little small things that make a big difference for a family. So we want to use that platform to feed the kids, but also at the same time establish and build relationships. With, with families and, and hopefully guide them and lead them into directions where they can strengthen themselves mm-hmm. better. David, what do you want us to know about the St. Martin Center? One of the biggest things that I think it's important for people to know is that the, um, the who does St. Martin Center serve? I'm asked that question often, and my answer is everybody. You know, it could be your neighbor, it could be your cousin. Um, there is no predominant profile anymore in terms of client. Uh, we serve the ones that have recently arrived this country. We serve the individual with a six-figure income who got in trouble and is about to lose their home. So um, remember St. Martin Center. Um, at one point or another, there's probably a connection to somebody that we've helped that is close to you. And if certainly you want to know more, I, I just would invite you to reach out to us via either our social media or, or just in person and uh, and come alongside us as we, we uh, want to work with you to help make you a better place. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Michael Hooks from Michael Making Lives Better. Thank you for coming on, Mike. Thank you, brother. And David Gonzalez, CEO of the St. Martin Center. David, thank you so much for coming on our show today. Thank you so much. And so we want to thank our sponsors of Next on WQL and Infinity Resources, the Erie County DA's office, our Benjamin Wiley Charter School. Thank you so much. We also want to thank you for tuning in to Next on WQLN. Join us next month as we explore another timely topic with local guests. For radio, tune in to 91.3 FM on the fourth Sunday of the month at 4 p.m. Uh, for Next, I'm Marcus Atkinson. We will see you all next time.